this morning, as Brian said, we're just ordinary people that serve an extraordinary God. The Word helps us to understand the life in the Spirit. It helps us understand to be spiritual people. The Word helps us understand the works that He's prepared in advance for us to do. Marvellous. Nobody's ever redundant in Christ. Now we've gone to great expense with our next ex-speaker. And... um, her name is Katie Allen. Just a minute. Just getting the kids sorted out, Katie, before you come. <laughs> Bye, Courtney. Have a good time. All right? Yes? All right. Great. We recognize in this church people's giftings, regardless of gender. Regardless of gender. The only thing we hold dear to in terms of gender is in terms of government. We follow the biblical pattern of eldership. Katie has an extraordinary gift of teaching. And it would be wrong to deny the church that gift. She doesn't speak on her own authority. She speaks under the covering of the elders. And she speaks under the authority of the Spirit. Katie doesn't teach in terms of changing direction of the church or government of the church. She'll bring to you what's fresh, what's manna, what's bread from the Lord. Nobody said anything, by the way. I'm not saying this, you know, because there's an issue. I just feel led to say this this morning. Because sometimes we forget to recognize the local giftings. We sometimes we will clap visiting speakers. Clap Katie Allen as she comes. Um, John chapter 6. <laughs> God hasn't finished speaking this morning. And he's, um, in his amazing grace and wisdom, he's not about to change direction and say something else. He's going to carry on talking about the things he's already started speaking to us about. So we're going to just read um, to verse 15 in in John 6, um, verse 1 to 15. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went, because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he said, Where can we buy bread to feed these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So, they all 
sat down on the grassy slopes. And the men numbered um, 5,000. The men alone numbered 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the temple. Afterwards, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who'd eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. The Lord laid on my heart this week a, a struggle to find what to share this morning. And um, that struggle in itself was the answer. And um, I, I've had, um, if, if you were here at the prayer meeting on Monday, you know, we were praying out of um, what Rose brought and we were praying and, and in that place of worship on Monday night, praying into difficult situations. And I had some phone calls and messages come through during that meeting that then led me into a week of really difficult situations um, where um, my team of four was rapidly reduced to a team of two um, with all the same pressures and problems. And I'm sure if you work with children, you know, as soon as they know somebody is missing, it just goes insane. So I spent this week snatching, just snatching at the word, snatching at trying to find what God wants to say this morning and what was on my heart, and and I couldn't translate it. And then yesterday morning, I sat down and I had time. And out of that struggle, there is a word to share this morning, which is sit down. Sit down. Okay? It's so important. If you go to um, the first two words of chapter 6, those first two words are after this. After chapter 5, Jesus climbed a hill and sat down. A common feature of his ministry. It is a common feature of Jesus' ministry to find him sitting and eating, sitting and teaching, sitting and interceding. He is a man who sits and he is still sitting. He sits in the confidence of the Father's will. He sits in a relaxed position of history fulfilled. And in this, this place in, in, um, on the Sea of Galilee in John chapter 6, Jesus was sitting in the confidence of the Father's will to be fulfilled, not yet seen, but confident it would be sitting down. And he, he, he sat with his disciples. He sat with those he loved, with those he was teaching, with those that were giving to him. He sat down in extraordinarily good company. And in, in chapter 5, Jesus, um, Jesus shows us this labor to get to the place of rest. He did extraordinary things in chapter 5. He described his entire ministry. And he did it under the accusation of breaking the Sabbath to heal a lame man. So we're just going to remind ourselves of the sit-down that Jesus took in chapter 6, coming out of chapter 5, out of the labor, out of the big work that he did, and then the necessity to sit. He... um, He asked the man at the pool of Bethesda if um, he would like to get well. 
a very direct and very simple question. Would you like to get well? Would you like me to give you the healing of the Father? And the man by the pool described how hopeless it was. I don't know how to. Every time I try to get to the water where I can see plainly a stirring of healing, every time I try to get there, I can't because I need healing. Caught in this cycle of seeing what he needed but not being able to get there. He's always pushed out of the way. He's always last. There's somebody in there before he can even start dragging himself over to the water's edge. So Jesus gave him a command and the command was pick up your mat and walk, which the man promptly did. He picked up his mat and walked and there was an outcry because what Jesus was doing was healing and demonstrating who he was. So there was an outcry from the religious and they were furious that he had healed a man on the day of rest, on the Sabbath day. They were shocked and appalled that this man was breaking the rules and the regulations. So Jesus talks to them. He gives them the testament of what is to come. He explains who he is and he explains to them very clearly that he has come in the Father's name, that he is the Son of God. He is the rule and the regulation. He is the new covenant. And he explains this to them. He explains that the Father has life in himself and has granted that same life-giving power to the Son. He introduces every facet of the Father has been delegated to his hands. And he has the authority to judge because that has been delegated to him and he has the authority to raise the dead and he has authority to command a man to pick up his mat and walk. Jesus laid out everything that he was and would be. Everything that was going to happen was right in front of their eyes. There was their moment to say, glory, the Messiah has come. Jesus healed, faced the harassment, revealed his identity, and sat down. He went through that hard work and through that struggle and had absolutely every confidence that he did not need the approval of them. And in in John chapter 5, verse verse, um, 41, he actually says very directly to them, he doesn't think it and hold it in his heart and save it for later, he says it out loud, your approval means nothing to me. Now I will rest, because rest is doing the Father's will. It is not the law and the regulation that you have covered the Father's will in. So Jesus sat down and waited on the hill overlooking Galilee with the disciples. One piece of difficult, hard work done, a struggle in the spiritual fulfilled, and one piece of hard work to come. In between the work, he's sitting down. I want to remind us, I feel it's important just to, just to labor this for a moment. I want to remind us as well that um, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus sat down in a boat, didn't he? In the middle of the sea, the same piece of water. He sat down, and um, I, I, I like the, the New Living Translation, because in, in verse 22 it says, he reclined to take a nap. <laughs> okay? Jesus is at rest. Jesus is very confident of the power of the Father, very confident of what God can do. And he was there in the boat, settled, reclining on cushions, I'm sure, 
and um, a storm so fierce blew up all around that the water was filling into the boat. And he was woken up by the panic and the terror of those he was with. And with words, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and the stillness returned. From that position of rest and authority, Jesus brings miracle, revelation, healing, a calm to the storm. In Luke 22, Jesus sat down with the apostles to have a meal. He sat down to share the Passover meal and bring the revelation that the bread and the blood has now got a new meaning. And he sat with the disciples and said, take this wine and take this bread. You are familiar with what they are. You are familiar that the blood around lintel saved death from coming to your children. And you are aware that the bread fed you as you escaped over the sea into the Father's deliverance. Well, now there is a new covenant. Now you can take this, the bread and the wine, and you can remember me, my body broken for you, my blood shed for you. And in a place of sitting and quite probably reclining, they sat there and they learned the undisturbed rest of a man about to face his death, a man about to shoulder all of our sin and all of our concern, at rest, still teaching and giving out to those young men because they're going to go out commissioned to reach the ends of the earth. And in six days... God labored. He created the earth. He created the land. He created the sea. He put the animals on the earth and he put the fishes in the deep. And on the seventh day, he rested. There is a a position of sitting that is ours to understand this morning. You've got your Bibles. Can you turn to Psalm 47 and perhaps keep a finger in Psalm 29 as well? Jesus explains in um, John chapter 5 that he was doing the will of the Father and that he couldn't do anything except what was the Father's will. And in, in Psalm 47, here is a description of what the Father was doing. Psalm 47, verse 7 to 8, For God is the King over all the earth. Praise him with a psalm. God reigns above the nations, sitting on his holy throne. And Isaiah 66 verse 1 tells us more about that position. God is comfortable. God is at ease. He is sitting on his holy throne and the earth is his footstool. He has his feet up. Such is the assurance, and we've heard it through the testimonies and the songs and the word that's becoming this morning. Such is the assurance of God that his position is seated and the earth is his footstool. But I want to look at Psalm 29 as well because it is not a passive position. It is not idleness. It is not sleepiness. It is not a slumbering God who we have to wake with our shouts and our pleas. It is a position of such confidence and such authority that from sitting, 
from sitting, there is a command that comes out from heaven. The voice of the Lord echoes above the sea. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty sea. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord splits the mighty cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon's mountains skip like a calf. He makes Mount Hermon leap like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with bolts of lightning. The voice of the Lord makes the barren wilderness quake. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists mighty oaks and strips the forests bare. In his temple, everyone shouts glory. The Lord rules over the floodwaters. The Lord reigns as king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses them with peace. There is no struggle in the Father and the Son. There is no struggle in jostling for position. And there is no struggle in the position they take. There are no tired limbs There are no sore feet. This is a position of undisturbed rest and complete authority. And that is our inheritance. And on the banks of Galilee in John 6, Jesus, from that position of sitting watching another crowd approach him. It wasn't a crowd of 5,000. It was a crowd of 5,000 male heads counted, plus all the rest. Okay? The babies, the children, the kids, the youth, the women, rushing to hear Jesus. And seeing their need... He said, the best position you can take is the position I command you to take. Sit down. To receive, sit down. And I believe that God is saying this to us. I believe he's saying to us, let the chair take the weight. Let the grassy slope take the weight. Because the struggle has already been handled. It is glorious fact, glorious historical fact, that the chairs on the leg that he's got for you to sit on are the chairs that have come out of resurrection glory. They are welded in glory. They are stitched together in glory. This is a beautifully crafted spot for you to sit on. It is sitting in the company of Jesus. It is currently historical fact that we can sit in the rest and the authority of the resurrection And it is future fact that we will take a seated position in glory. Jesus said, tell them to sit down. Do you know that your eternal future is a future of sitting in the authority and rest as a son of God? Going to look at the scriptures, it's true. So the struggle is finished and we are already in possession of wonderful, glorious fact. We have, I think Watchman Nee calls it, an honourable station, a sitting position because the weight has already been crafted for us to fall back into. Can you turn to Ephesians chapter 1? Uh, 
And I'm going to just go from, from verse 18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. Wow. So that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are rich, or who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power. We can't re-describe this power. We can't recraft this power. It is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only now in this world, but also in the world to come. God's put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. That same power, that resurrection power, has raised Christ Jesus to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And God is saying to us, sit down. Sit down and recognize that that same authority that same assurance and rest is ours right now in April 2015. Romans 6. From verse 1. Um, and you, you, go, you, you look at Romans 6 and you go back a verse and back a verse. From verse 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. There, there is a, a, a message there. Where Jesus is, we are. Where Jesus goes, we can go. Who Jesus is and what he has done for us is our inheritance. The struggle is finished. It is our historical inheritance to live in going forward and step out of what was behind because we are firmly included in the position of Jesus Christ. The position he holds is our legal birthright. 
the position we have is our eternal occupation. If we want to prepare ourselves for eternity, we need to prepare ourselves to sit down in the presence of God. We need to prepare ourselves for what is ours. And Ephesians chapter 2 puts this in a mixture of tenses. And I love it because I, I was reading this afresh yesterday. I thought, oh, guys, this, the future, is it now? It's now. It's the future. It was. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 10. God, so rich in mercy. We heard it this morning, testified and brought to us. God, so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he's done for us who are united with Christ. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are seated with him in the heavenly realms. We are and we're going to be because we are united with him. Okay? Okay. That's the foundation. Now for the bit that we need to understand. This is not a contextual sitting like you are sitting now and I am standing. This is not God giving us permission to sit on our backsides and do nothing. There are days when that is what he asks us to do. There are days when it is a physical rest that he is commanding us to have. But when Jesus said, sit down, he said, sit down with me on the banks of Galilee to receive a sign and wonder and provision of Almighty God. And then you're going to leave. You are not going to sit with me for the rest of today. Fed and dispersed. The sitting is not a contextual thing. It is all about seeing. And that, when you have an ear for it, that's come out a lot this morning. It's about seeing ourselves seated with Christ. You see, in John chapter 6, when Jesus said, sit down, 5,000 people, I work with 960. That's bad. 5,000. But he was sat there too. They saw themselves seated with Christ. They had a vision before them of Christ Jesus. They were in his company, breathing the same air and eating the same food. The food anointed in a miracle for them to eat. To sit is to see ourselves seated with Christ. And Ephesians tells us that we are seated in the heavenly realms. We can see this. We can see our position. We can see what's ahead. We can see 
the position he intends us to hold because we are united with Christ and not because of anything we've done, not because we reclined into the resurrection power of Jesus, but because he snatched us out of struggle and sat us down. Probably the moment when we had least struggle in our whole lives was that moment. Was that moment when, I always quote Brian, when we turned ourselves in, when we let go. At that moment, we understood what it was to be seated with Christ. And at that moment of baptism, we understood what it was for him to be everything And our part was to let him wash over us. To see ourselves seated. Colossians 1, sorry, Colossians 3, verse It's almost like these scriptures, I I was reading this again this morning, and and it fascinates me when God stitches things together. And and I was reading this this morning, and it's almost like it all just rolls into, see what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? Can you see what I'm saying? And in Colossians 3, since you have been raised to new life, did, did this verse know the verses we've just read? Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights, and this is how New Living puts it, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Oh, that got my attention. Lord, what are the realities of heaven? Oh, Katie, the reality is where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is in your life is revealed to the whole world, you will share his glory. Sit down translates sit and see the reality of who Jesus is. Seated at the place of honor. And Ephesians tells us with our place of honor next to him. Oh, that's the glorious inheritance. That's the struggle finished. That's the place of victory. And Matthew chapter 19 takes this a little bit further. This 28. Just in case we don't get it the first time or the second time or the third time, Scripture's full of this position of sitting. In verse 28, um, Jesus replied, Yes, and I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who've been my followers, will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who's given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake 
will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest will now be least important, will be least important then. And and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. This is a position of great humility and great authority and power, a position of great rest and a position of great wonders to come. And it's ours now to sit down. In, in Hebrews 10, um, we see the priests um, described um, in Hebrews chapter 10 making the right approach to the throne of God, making the right approach by eating the right foods in the right order, slaughtering the food in the right way, dressing in the right way, approaching the throne. And as they approach the altar, they are to stand in that position in front of the holy of holies day after day after day after day. And then, and then Hebrews, Hebrews tells us, then we see our high priest. Then we see Jesus, who sacrificed once and is seated. You see, the rules and regulations have been destroyed by the cross. The reasons why we can't approach the throne of God have been destroyed by the cross. All the ifs and the buts that we sit here with now that say, but this isn't for me, have been destroyed by the cross. And all the reasons why we sit here right now and say, oh, oh, this is lovely, this is really nice, and and there's a real peace in this place, but I, I don't think God can do that for me, has been destroyed by the cross. And there's a, there's a sickness in my life and there's a sickness in those I love and it's, it's really huge and it, it's a facer and um, I know God loves me and I know there's peace but, but this is real now. God can do this. God can do this. He can give us the peace to take what we've got to take And he can come with the power and the love and the healing that is a gift that is beyond anything we can describe because the rules and regulations don't matter now. All those rules and arguments and reasons, everything that we list out and and causes us to wait and wait and wait and wait until all that's gone because we need to see ourselves seated at the right hand of Jesus. All that blessing and all that authority. And if he doesn't meet the need that is desperate for us, he has something. He has a a peace, a grace. He has something. He has something to give us that will show us how to bear it. And show us how to be those who worship him in spirit and truth. Show us how to be those who are not chained up by what we're waiting for. But those who are free to sit down and see him as he is. And therefore see ourselves as we are. In God's presence, all our excuses disappear. And in God's presence, he brings something into our problems. And one of the things we were reminded about on Monday night, those problems might still be our responsibility, but he brings the seated, victorious, historical fact of glory into all that stuff. So there they were, we're just going to finish here. There they were on the grassy banks of the Sea of Galilee, sat looking at Jesus. 
sat in an incredible place and they looked at Jesus and he took five chunks of bread and two fish and I don't think we're talking tuna I think we're talking fish two little fishies and it multiplied the position of sitting in the presence of Jesus and seeing who he is is a position of abundance it is a position of the impossible going into the hands of God and being altered by his great love and it is a position to see and receive and go on and act in what he gives us to do. It's a position where his strength becomes everything and our strength recedes and recedes. Sitting in the presence of Jesus is a seedbed of miracles. So we've been sat this morning receiving. We've been sat in the presence of Jesus. We've been stood in his presence. We've received testimony, song, exhortation, encouragement. We've been in that place of worship. And we're going to come now and we're going to take the bread and the wine. And we're taking it to see Jesus. We're going to eat bread to receive the sacrifice of Jesus. And we're going to drink of the wine to receive the sacrifice of Jesus, to see him more clearly and to say to him, Lord, here I am. This is all very nice, but here I am and you know what's going on for me. We're in this place right now, seated in his presence, full of word and scripture that we can go and chase up and down again later, that we can enjoy for ourselves and say, Lord, what are you saying to me in this? You seated so comfortably and so confidently, what are you saying to me? What can you do for me right now? What do I need to see in your face? How do I stare at you? And how do you come into the little house that I live in and bring heaven into the reality of what's on my table? How do you multiply what I have in my life into something that's going to feed thousands, that's going to give out to thousands, that's going to see my community change, my city change, that's going to restore the world order because that's gone? Lord, It matters that I see your face. It matters that I sit down and take time to see you. So I wonder if we've got any stewards still. Yeah, great. I wonder if stewards could prepare the bread and wine. We're just going to pray. Guys, are you okay to to bring back? And I I was chatting to to Ian this morning and, and before we came out, and I just felt this morning that when I was preparing this, God was talking about healing. And we've heard this morning about the need for healing and we've heard testimony of great healing. So we're going to ask the stewards to, I'm going to pray, and we're going to ask the stewards to bring the bread and wine out. It is scriptural, if you need healing, to ask the elder to anoint you with oil. It is scriptural, if you need healing, to come and receive prayer. And God will respond. He will never not answer you. He will respond. He will bring you something that you need in that. And praise God, he's going to give us more miracles of healing. I believe that. So Lord, I I thank you. I thank you, God. I thank you so much that your great sacrifice, oh God, that's my inheritance, that's my brothers and sisters' inheritance to know the full assurance of who you are, what you've done, what you can do, and what you will do. 
Lord, you are love. You are grace. You are peace. And I thank you that it is our position, our correct position, to learn to see you and to see ourselves with you, to sit down in your company. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will quicken the authority of the bread and the wine to us. Lord, we take it seriously. This is your body. We take it, we eat it, we drink in remembrance of you. And we believe in your real presence. You are present with us, Jesus. You have been present with us all day. So when we eat and we go through that casual process of eating and digesting, we are in a place to receive you, Lord. To receive you powerfully. Lord, start to minister to the needs in the room, to the heart's desires into the room. Start to cause a spirit-to-spirit depth of sitting in your presence. And Lord, where we need to get up and say, please pray, this is for real, this needs prayer, it's serious to me, it makes a difference to me, then Lord, quicken us to ask and receive and quicken us to see more of you in that, Lord. For it's you who ministers to us, Lord. It's you who heals. It's you who answers us. So Lord, we we are in this place right now, God, to receive from you and let every heart be open and let every heart bring its testimony of what you did because we believe you make difference, God. You make changes. So we come to receive anxiously and excitedly difference in our bodies and difference in our lives, Lord. Bless your people, God. Amen.